1972, the country superstar George Jones wrote a song. Some of you may be familiar with it. Me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. I think George Jones was expressing the attitude and feelings that a lot of people have today uh, about the church. I can't tell you how many people that I have met who say things like this. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I can grow spiritually on my own. I don't need the church. All I need is the Holy Spirit and the Bible. He teaches me everything I need to know. I don't need the church. You've probably heard statements and sayings like that yourself. Comments like these reveal that these people really do not understand the nature and the purpose of the church. They really don't. They don't understand how vitally important the church is to their own spiritual growth, and they to the growth of the body. So here are a few other related excuses people give for not being committed to the local church. I can't find one. I have a little sympathy for that because I've been there where I've had to look for a solid Bible-believing church. And it's sad that they're hard to come by. They are hard to find, but they're out there. We like to think that New Life is one such congregation. So we don't give up in our search for a church that preaches the, the scriptures, that is unashamed about preaching God's word. Or how about this one? My church is the great outdoors. I'm closer to God when I'm out in nature. Now listen. I love being outdoors as much as the next guy, probably more. My wife and I, we love hiking, traveling, going places, exploring and everything. And it is wonderful to see God's handiwork, to see the beauty of his creation. And it does something for me spiritually, but it's not the church. Or how about this one? This is another excuse. The church is full of hypocrites. You heard that one, right? Or... I've been burned in the past. So past experiences is what's keeping me from presently being engaged. This one here I refer to as the holy trifecta, and I wish I could say it came from one person, uh, or I mean three per per people. I don't like the music, the preaching, or the people. That's the holy trifecta there. Um, I, it's difficult getting out of the house. Every week? Um, uh, I need a break from the church. <laughs> I know, it really wears you out, huh? Um, uh, I'm, I'm kind of leading my own house church. I've, I've heard that. And of course, some people are just flat out lazy. <laughs> Bed is nice and comfortable. You know, to have to get up, take a shower, get changed, drive, to, drive to, to, to the worship service in the rain, you know. 
I hope you can see that there are a lot of reasons that people give um, in one form or another that kind of summarize that phrase, it's just me and Jesus, baby. It's just me and Jesus. And I'm just scratching the service here. The truth is, prior to the 20th century, you would have been hard-pressed to find anyone who would have thought he could live the Christian life apart from the church. You just wouldn't have found them. And with more and more churches today streaming their online services, it makes it that much easier for people to stay at home. I mean, you don't even have to leave the comfort of your warm bed. You can just turn on the TV or whip out your, your iPad or your, your iPhone and you can watch the service there. And as we have been wrestling with online streaming and the value of it, I wonder how long those people will continue to watch. Now, I'm not saying that we should get rid of it, so don't freak out, especially those of you that are watching online, because I think there are good reasons for it. Number one, there are a lot of people who would love to be here this morning that, for one reason or another, are unable to be here. And so this is an opportunity for us to extend the ministry of this church to those who are watching online. And it's also helpful for those who might be new to the community or looking for a church, and they can check us out online. And they don't just hear the message, but they can actually watch the entire service. And so there is benefit in online streaming. But watching a service is not a substitute for the church. It's not. It's just me and Jesus is a sentiment that I believe is keeping many people from growing in their faith and experiencing all that God has for them to experience. Now, I debated whether or not I was going to say this, but I am, and it may sound harsh, but I think that this cliche merely masks our ignorance our laziness, and our sin. If, if we want to live a God-pleasing, meaningful, purposeful life, we've got to be convinced, both here and here, that we need the church, and the church needs us. So this morning, that's my big idea. We need the church. You need the church. I need the church. And the church needs us. Now before I share with you some reasons why we need the church and why it needs us, I think we first need to understand what the church is. We need to, to, to have a deep understanding of the church our ecclesiology, if you would. And so to that end, I'm going to give you a definition this morning, a biblical definition of the church, and then we're going to look at some descriptions of the church found in Scripture. And so looking at the church defined. As I mentioned before, many people are, are confused about the church, even Christians who, who know it and believe that the church is not a building, often speak as if it were. Um, Trevor always 
gives me grief when I mess up in staff meeting and I give him grief too. We're trying to correct each other every time we use the church in an inappropriate way, the word church, such as, where do you go to church? Or I'll meet you at the church. Or can I get directions to your church? Now, it is so ingrained in us, it's hard to get out of that out of that thinking. And sometimes it's a mouthful to say, hey, are you going to the worship gathering this morning or the worship service? Or maybe to use the word east side. Sometimes we may equate church with a service as opposed to a building. We say it like this, what time does church start? Uh, We're going to be late for church. We mean we're going to be late for the worship service. Or like today, many of you, hey, where are we going to lunch after church? By the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but it was hard to get a reservation anywhere today. It's crazy. Mother's Day. Wow. Well, a careful study of Scripture reveals that the church is not a building, and it's not a service. It's not an event that you attend The word church actually comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is made up of two words. The first is ek. The second is kaleo. And the word ek literally means out of, out of. And kaleo means to call. So the church is a group of called out ones. The the definition of ecclesia together is in an assembly or a gathering of people, specifically of called out ones. And the word appears 114 times in the New Testament, and not once is it ever used for a building or a service. Now, the gathering of called out ones in a particular location is known as the visible or local church. And it's called visible because you can see the people. They are known and their services are public. The invisible church, sometimes referred also as the Catholic church, I'll never forget first time. I I grew up Catholic, and um, when I got saved, I started going to a Lutheran church, and in the Lutheran church, they will recite the Apostles' Creed, and you get to the place where we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. I nearly had a cow. I thought, what? This is a Lutheran church. What do you mean you believe in the Catholic church? This don't make any... And then somebody explained to me that it's Catholic with a small c, meaning universal. Okay? So the Catholic or universal church. So by the way, if you recite the Apostles' Creed, don't have a cow. It is universal in that it consists of Christ followers everywhere. So it's not just a gathering of people at one particular location, but it's God's people who are, are in, in Christ who live throughout the world. And more than that, it consists of those who are in Christ who have died in Him, who are already in His presence. So it consists of those who have died in Christ and those who are are currently living in Christ and all those who will one day come to Him. And only God knows 
the true headcount of that membership. And that's why we refer to it as the invisible church. Now, the church, and I amended this definition, but I, I, I put this definition together for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the way that I have since amended it, since putting it up on screen, because I think it's important. The local church is an assembly or gathering of called out people who meet together regularly for God's ordained purposes. So if you're writing down this definition, I would insert the word local, the local church, and regularly. Because it's not enough for us to meet together. We have to meet together regularly. And this is borne out, of course, in Scripture. I like what Jonathan Lehman says in his book on church membership. I don't think we often think about it this way, but he says, a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. So I think you can see that having a clear definition of the church helps us to see why the cliche, it's just me and Jesus, is wrong-headed. We've been called out of the world to God and into his church to carry out his purposes in the world, as we sang earlier this morning. John MacArthur said this, the idea of experiencing salvation without belonging to a local church is foreign to the New Testament. Do you hear what he said? It's foreign to the New Testament, meaning it's not in there. You won't find it. It's nonsensical to think that you can be a Christian and not be a part of the local church, except for under extreme circumstances. But another way to help us understand why we need the church and why it needs us is to look at how the church is described in Scripture. So we have definition the word itself and what it means. But now we need to look at how Scripture describes the church because I believe in the description of the church, you're going to see that there, there is no lone ranger Christian in Christendom. We are all a part of the church of God. So let's turn our attention to some metaphors used in Scripture to describe the church. And as we look at them, I think you're going to clearly see it is not just me and Jesus. In addition to being described as the bride of Christ, Scripture describes the church in the following ways. One, as a flock of sheep. And this in my opinion, is a beautiful and tender description of the church. I know we tend to think of sheep as smelly and not so smart, 
But that's not really how we perceive this concept or metaphor of the church as we look at Scripture. In fact, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. They are worth him laying down his life for. So there's a picture of worth and value amongst these sheep. And then Luke writes in the book of Acts, Um, And he's speaking to the elders, and he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then Peter tells us in chapter 5, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, in all of these passages, the word sheep is plural. A sheep out on its own Okay, is a dangerous thing. That sheep might starve to death, might become somebody else's pet, or become a nice evening meal. You see, sheep, individual sheep, need other sheep, and they need the protection and the provision of a shepherd who cares for them. Another metaphor given to us in Scripture is that of a family. Christians are a part of the household of God. In Romans chapter 8, we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In Galatians 6, Paul refers to the church as the family of believers. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. I have to tell you that if just this one metaphor, if we grasped it, it would not only change our lives, it would change our church. It would change every local church to see one another as brothers and sisters, really as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a part of the family of God. But we're not through yet. Scripture gives us another metaphor, that of a building. And this illustration 
of the church tells us that the church is designed to grow, that it should be uh, united. It speaks of the unity of all believers, and the church is the dwelling place of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. But look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Keep in mind, Paul is not writing to individuals He's writing to the church. And to the church in Corinth, he says, you, plural, are God's building. Uh, You know, just imagine, you know, you're missing an important part of a building, whether it be a wall, a stairway, a door. To the church in Ephesus, he writes again, you, plural, our fellow citizens with the saints. And, and by the way, there's another thing. When I first became a Christian, again, because of my background, I thought the saints were the, you know, old, holy, dead people that we venerated, you know, and sometimes prayed to even. And they were just like untouchable. They were so holy. But the Bible tells us that we are saints of God, that every individual who has been born again by the Spirit of God is now a holy one, which is what the word means. We are saints of God. And we do pray, not to the saints, but for the saints. Together, they are being built into a dwelling place by God, for God, by the Spirit. Another metaphor given to us in Scripture is that of an army And you can look at those verses if you like, but here's the rub. We cannot engage in spiritual warfare alone any more than a soldier goes into battle by himself against an opposing army. It'd be suicide. He needs support. He needs armored divisions. He needs air cover. He needs fellow infantrymen. Satan is a powerful adversary. We cannot take him on by ourselves. We need to stand together against the enemy. There is strength in numbers. We need to look out for each other and have each other's back. We need to stand in the gap for one another. We protect one another. And we care for our wounded. Perhaps one of the most familiar metaphors given to us in Scripture is that of a body. And this metaphor illustrates for us oneness. 
and interdependedness or interdependence and the importance of working together. Look at these scriptures with me. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so is it with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I would encourage you to read the whole chapter, but Paul writes that the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So is it with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by the Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? How strange a body would it be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Now, if you find an arm or a leg laying on the side of the road somewhere, you know something has terribly gone wrong, right? You, you would just know there has been a, an accident there's an axe murderer on the loose. I mean, you just don't find body parts laying all over the place, scattered around. The church is the body of Christ, and we are all individual members of it. If we remove ourselves from the body, we do harm to ourselves, and we harm the church of God. The last series of metaphors I want to share with you this morning is that of a holy and royal priesthood and a chosen race and a holy nation. Peter writes, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, there's the building, to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, this is a a passage that as a new believer just kind of rocked my world because I had a certain idea of what a priest was and what a priest did and what a priest looked like. And here I'm reading that every genuine Christian is a priest in this new, holy, and royal priesthood. Like Old Testament priests, we minister to people and we intercede for people. We intercede on their behalf before God, but unlike Old Testament priests, Praise God for this. We don't have to offer animal sacrifices. Rather, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. Notice how else Peter describes the church here. He says, you are a chosen race. You know, we are, you know, in this day and age, there's a lot of talk about race. But the reality is there is only one race. It's the human race. But here, what we're being told is that there is a new people never before seen on the face of the earth. They are the people of God. They are a chosen race. A chosen race. And together, we are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I I hope that it is clear from Scripture that those whom God has called and saved are a part of a new humanity. I hope you can see that. He has made us to be a kingdom, a chosen race, a holy nation. We are a holy and royal priesthood, the army and the family of God. We are God's building, the body and the bride of Christ. We are the people of God and the sheep of his pasture. Gosh, just in that one paragraph that I just shared with you is so rich with who we are in Christ as God's people. This definition that I gave you and the description that we've looked at through these metaphors should be enough to make us abandon any cliche like it's just me and Jesus. It should be abundantly clear just from that. But I want to share with you just a few other reasons why we need the church and why the church needs us. These are not the only reasons. There's a lot more, but they're good ones. And I'm going to give this to you shotgun style. I like the shotgun approach. I'm just going to unload on you. The church is where we experience the beauty, power, and presence of Christ in corporate worship. 
It's where we learn biblical truths that lead to transformation through the teaching and equipping ministry of the church. It's where we develop the character of Christ as we interact with other believers. It's where we learn humility, gentleness, and patience as we bear with one another, forgive one another, love one another, serve one another, and obey dozens of other one another commands. It's where we draw strength and courage from one another. The church is where we find spiritual protection. It's where we experience biblical community where we are inspired to live for Christ. It's where needs can be met, both ours and others. The church is where we discover and cultivate our spiritual gifts and minister to one another. It is in and through the church that we can experience forgiveness and healing. As James tells us, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. I think that's one of the things that I really missed about the Catholic Church was going to confession. Because I, I needed to unload. I needed to allow somebody else into my life to know all the junk that I often keep hidden from people. And I remember I would go in and, and I would kneel down and I would make the sign of the cross and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been like six months since my last confession. And, and then you proceed to tell them all the things that you can remember that you've done wrong. And I always thought that I over-exaggerated the number because I figured, you know, if I came in under the number of times that I lied, then the amount that I lied over that wouldn't get forgiven. But now as I look back, I think, what was I thinking? I wasn't even in the right ballpark. But I remember after I was done, the, the priest would tell me what I would need to do. And I would walk out and somehow, psychologically, I know this really didn't happen because he doesn't have the power to forgive sins. But I felt like a burden had been lifted. And it's a sad fact that so many Christians in his church, God's church, carry around the burden with them because they don't feel safe enough or loved enough by others to share what's really going on in their life. But folks, that's the kind of people God is calling us to be. We are family. We are priests. We ought to do, as James says, confess our faults or our sins one to another so that you may be healed, that we might walk in freedom. Not only is the church all of these things, the church is where we discover and cultivate our spiritual gifts and minister to one another. It's the vehicle that God has chosen to preach the gospel and reach the world for Christ. I like what Jeff Myers says in his book. He says, the body of Christ is a shield that protects us from our own inclinations, the temptations of the world, 
and the spiritual forces of darkness. So let me give you a few practical application steps before we close. First, make corporate worship in biblical community a priority. Now, saying that is, may, may feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. Some folks are not. Some folks could be here but aren't here. And they may have good reason for not being here. All I'm saying is that we need to make sure that we make our gathering, our assembling together a priority. It doesn't come in after we get our golf game in. It doesn't come in after we do all sorts of other things. It has to be a priority. Our spiritual health, the spiritual health of our families, of our church is at stake. Same thing is true when it comes to meeting together in smaller groups, in life groups, even D groups, discipleship groups. Second, if you're not in a discipleship group, I encourage you to talk to somebody about it. And you say, well, who might that be? Okay, if you're in a discipleship group or have been in a discipleship group, would you raise your hand? Okay, take a look around. Those are the people you can talk to. All right, you can put your hands down. Third, find a place of service within the body. Trevor and I, we were talking about this this past week. There are lots of opportunities and if we don't have an opportunity for you, share with us your heart, your passion, what you believe your spiritual gifts are. We will help you find a place of service. But I can tell you right now, if you ask Trevor, he's, he's probably just wondering, does anybody out there play an instrument? Can anybody sing? Is anybody technologically savvy that they could be on the media team? He'd love to talk to you. Steph would love to talk to you about serving on the hospitality team. Eric would love to talk to you about serving in the children's ministry. I'd love to talk to anybody who's interested in hosting a life group or maybe perhaps even leading a life group. Talk to somebody. Find a place of service. And then lastly, I exhort you, excel at the grace of giving. Excel at the grace of giving. Paul talks about this this grace of giving in, in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And it's through the giving of this church. And for those of you that are visiting with us, you, you've probably noticed we haven't passed an offering plate. We don't do that. Because it is an expectation that God's people will support this church and this ministry so that we can minister not only to you, but to people outside of the four walls of this church. That we might be able to support our missionaries who are serving Christ in a foreign land or in another state or just down the road. Let's not debate whether one can be a Christian without the church, or if you can grow without the church. Rather, let's follow the advice of the writer of the book of Hebrews who said, let us not 
give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. To live a God-pleasing, meaningful, purposeful life, we need the church, and the church needs us. George Jones would have saved himself a lot of grief had he not misunderstood that slogan, it's just me and Jesus. Because it's not me and Jesus. It's we in Jesus. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. And it is unconscionable for a Christian to think that he can live the Christian life apart from the local church. And here's something that the Lord really impressed on my heart this week as I was preparing this message. It is our meanness and it's just me and Jesus. It's our meanness. That is exactly what Jesus came to save us from. He came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from our self-centered, self-righteous, self-absorption. He came to save us from our sin and take his rightful place on the throne of our hearts. Folks, that's what the... That's what the church is about. He died for a people. He died for the church. He died for us. So let's take these truths that we've learned this morning. Let's take them to heart. And let's find out how can we flesh this out better. And as the writer of Hebrews says here, let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, Christ is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I want my hands to be on the plow. I want to be found doing what he's called me to do. And I want those who God has called alongside me to be there with me when he returns. And I want him to say to all of us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well done. So encourage one another all the more as you see the day of his return. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this wonderful entity that you created called the church and for placing us in it, for giving us family, for making us a holy and royal priesthood. Lord God, I pray that we would live in such a way that you would be pleased with us that as we link arms together that we would continue to grow in our faith that we would help others grow in their faith and that Lord that we would be a body that is characterized by love for one another that is characterized by healing and the giving and the granting and receiving of forgiveness. Lord, rub off the rough edges that each of us possess. Make us more like your son, Jesus, we pray. And it's in his name and all of God's people said, amen.